Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are the independent voice of Fulham FC. Uh, sorry it's been a little while since we did a pod. Uh, it all got a little bit hectic uh, after the Leicester game and between the Man United game. But we are back today and we're going to be discussing Saturday's heavy 4-1 defeat at Old Trafford. Also a little bit of chat about the Leicester game as well. And we got a load of your questions at the end. Uh, I've managed to drag two of the Fulhamish gang here on a Sunday afternoon rather than tucked up in the warm with a with a roast dinner or something like that they uh, true commitment to the cause uh, introducing Jack Collins hello listeners and Dom Betts hello hello well. Dom I'll start before we go to the three word reviews with a quick question for you um, what time did Dom Betts have his first half pint hashtag must be a record breaker from Nick Griffith oh I went down after half an hour and I didn't, go, I didn't go back up actually no, I went back up to take a picture and then went, went I was back in the pub by 4.27 so there should be great insight from you today on the podcast. Exactly, Jack, what are the three word reviews that came in? Some, some good ones. We're going to go to Instagram for, it, for a change. Oh, I like that. The things different. The one that, you know, that stands out immediately, Richard Bamber, bleak midwinter result. Oh, soul is always getting in there. <laughs> yeah, just loves it. You know, just loves it. it doesn't matter what platform, he's sneaking in there. <laughs> uh, Louis Cisse Chambers Champions. I thought was was quite nice. Yeah. The the more sort of negative ones turn then. Blue Wide Chef Championship next year. Steelman sixty seven. FFC Fulham for Championship. Oh. Theo Men Against Boys. Seashore eighty four with Lambs versus Wolves. Tom Reese Seri Anguissa dreadful. And but I like Tom Sizeland's Anguissa and Despair. Ah. I was betting Seri Anguissa pony. It's just it's just that's not. Yeah. There was quite a few um, theatre of nightmares and how original. Yeah. yeah, just like our Instagram posts. We're only we're we're only here for OG <laughs> content, pals. Uh, just to say, this season Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials and promotions. Head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. Jack was miming out the words as I said that. It's one of those classics now. We're uh, we're used to. It. We should all say it in in tandem one week and like, get that weird like echo effect going around the studio. Like it's a I don't know like a the Lord's Prayer in a church or something. Yeah. Everyone's saying it at exactly the same time. God save the Queen. Anyone game, you know. Yeah, yeah. Although everyone can't sing in time because they're English and, that, and oh, English people don't have any rhythm. Oh. Whereas Irish, famously, I've got rhythm jack here over here. Famously rhythmic. Okay. Except you. I'm really rhythmic. I'm a mu- music man. You heard it here first. We need, you, we need you to sing a new jingle. That's what we need. I will sing a new jingle. I, I will work one out over the Christmas period. Because Matt Target's still in the last one that you recorded. I know, I did, I did think that the other day. It's all right, we'll work it out. Um, let's have a look at the game. Uh, we'll start off with the changes. Uh, it felt like Slavisa returned yesterday. We made five changes uh, for the United game. In came Brian, Reem, Anguissa, Sherla and Kearney. Out went Maxime Lamarchand and Callum Chambers, both of whom we're pretty sure were injury-related. Yep. Uh, and then Christie, Vieto and Abubakar Kamara, who were probably more tactical changes. Um, Dom, do you think it is too many changes? It feels like a return to the bad old days it just as it looks like after the Leicester game, we'd found a bit of a formula. We seem to be all over the place again. It is, but I mean, if it means they're getting rested for West Ham, then maybe. Because I mean, you can't be. Although United were there for the taking, as I said, they are still part of that top six. I think home and away, you don't look at getting anything from there. But I don't understand why we didn't just stick with the same team, bar Maxime Lamarchand and Callum Chambers. 
because for me, there's no need to change it. I thought we played very well with that team, and I don't see the need to change it at all. You know, maybe, maybe bringing in Kearney, because I thought Luciano yeah. Vieta was quite poor in the first half against Leicester. But yeah, it was it was weird seeing the team, and every single time there is a team like released by Ranier at the moment, I'm like, well, what formation or system are we going to try to deploy here? I think that's kind of maybe it at the same time. He's still tinkering, to, to quote a common phrase about the, the tinker man himself, with, with the kind of system he's using. And, and even in this game, we played two different systems, first and second half. There are a couple of things that you kind of expect. I expected to see Kearney come in behind Mitrovic in a sort of 4-4-1-1. I wasn't expecting the wholesale changes that, that we did see. And yes, I completely appreciate that Chambers, Le Marchand, injured. I think you go like for like with them as much as you possibly can. You know, we've had the discussion about Frank not being a defensive midfielder before, but if you were going to bring in some sort of energy and legs into that midfield, it made sense to bring him in as a Cissé, direct mate. replacement. We'll get to Cissé. Uh, it made sense to bring him in as a direct replacement for Chambers. But apart from that, I, I don't see why you change things. I thought, you know, apart from a few you know, bad balls at the end of the game, Cyrus Christie had a good game against Leicester and he did well. And, you know, while Abu Kakamara has his faults, and look, I'm the, the first to point them out on many an occasion, it feels harsh to drop someone after scoring. And, and yes, he wasn't, you know, the world's a world beater in, in the Leicester game. And yes, he has issues. But to bring him out after scoring, you know, at home and his first Premier League goal seems like a strange thing to do, given that the pitch at United is big. You know, you can stretch the play and you kind of, we're going to be looking to work on the counter-attack and to replace him with someone of Schurler's kind of magnitude in order that, you know, who doesn't have that pace, power, and doesn't have that kind of propensity to break at, at speed... Seems like a strange decision in my book. Let's come on to that first half, and well, it was just it was just shambolic to be honest from from start to finish. Really, um, it was an early goal for the first one. Ashley Young kind of got a little bit of a lucky bounce. It's still kind of poor defending though from Dennis Adoy. Nothing sloppy about the finish though for, from Ashley Young. That was that was absolutely wonderful. But did we just go out there and show Man United way too much respect? I think we did. I mean, if you, I, we 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 were attacking in the in opening bits of, the, of that first half. Like it's not like we were sitting back, inviting on the pressure, and letting them play. We were trying to go forward. It's just every time we got the ball, Man United realised that our aim was to play the ball into Mitrovic, who was back to goal, and for him to play Sessional in behind, and that was all we looked like we were trying to do. So Man United quickly sussed that out, and then we did give him too much respect. But then, it, yeah, but it was a mixture of bad defending. But I still think you got to give credit to Ashley Young for the strike. But you know, when you go one nil down that early away to Old Trafford, I mean, what are you expect? You think the last time Embers scoring or conceding quite early on against United was beginning of 2006, 2007, after the Rooney Ronaldo bust up, and we lost. What was it five one? Mm. It was it sort of it quite it felt like that game to me. It felt like quite similar. Yeah, yeah no, I completely agree, and. Yeah, it's difficult to look at that goal as as all Dennis Adoy's was. I didn't think that Dennis Adoy was was very good, but equally he didn't get much cover. He didn't have sort of any support, and he was up against you know quick, clever players. And and while I don't think that you know Ashley Young is still you know top level, top six player, he still obviously got that quality and ability when you give him the space to do so. And Yes, he gets a lucky bounce. And I feel a little bit sorry for Adoy in that it comes off the inside of his heel and happens to fall right into the spot where Young wants it to, to fall in order that he can he can curl one. But, you know, you've you got to look at that as a goal of sublime quality as well. And and you have to kind of take that with a pinch of salt. I think if, if that was all we'd gone in behind or we'd gone in to three of those strikes, everyone would have been frustrated, but not, you know, absolutely apoplectic, which was the feeling at half time. 
I think that on this podcast, we're always quite quick to put our hands up when we've got something right and be like, oh, look, um, I said this and I was proved right. I was proved wrong yesterday with Dennis Adoy. I thought he'd be brilliant at right back. I actually, that last 20 minutes that he played against Leicester, I thought he was great. And whenever he's kind of been moved to right back or fullback, just generally yeah, as a substitute or a late change in the game, I thought he's been really, really effective. But yesterday just didn't work and and the United fullbacks I think our main problem was they were being allowed to get too deep into our half and have too much influence on the play and we were just constantly outnumbered it felt like yeah and but you know there's also it's like I say it's, it's very difficult I agree with you I don't think he was very good and I wouldn't have made that change but you know at the same time there's only so much that one man can do and I don't think Dennis Adoy was was the worst culprit yesterday I thought he was poor but I thought you know pretty much everyone was poor so it's it's difficult to kind of assess even when Scherler and, and Sessegnon switch wings and you'd expect Sess's kind of defensive know-how to, to kind of dig in there it didn't really work and you know I felt a little bit sorry for both Brian and Adoya at various times with the overlapping fullbacks because they were just caught in two minds and the same thing happens for the fourth goal I know we're a man down by that point so it's a little bit different but by the time the fourth goal goes again that the overlap comes around the side Adoya's standing off and he can't jump into the tackle with, with Rashford because he knows that all that will happen is it will release, I think it's Dalot down the left. Mm. Oh, no, it can't be. Yeah, it was. It was Dalot down the left for the for the in-swinger. And it's kind of one of those ones where you, what, what do you do as a fullback in that situation if you're not being given the cover and you're being overloaded time and time and time again? There's only so much that one man can do. Well, the aim is always on a fullback to get a 2v1 two, two yeah, situation. But that just happened far too much let's talk about when we went 1-0 down against Chelsea we went 1-0 down early on and you thought that we might crumble in the way that we did yesterday but actually we stayed fairly resolute okay there were a couple of chances Chelsea missed and let's say one of those you know like a couple of the Giroud chances do go in then yes it would have been very very similar however Yesterday, we seemed to collapse Dom far, far too easily. We're 1-0 down. Okay, it's not ideal. The game plan's slightly out the window. But there just seemed a little bit of a lack of heart from yeah, the Fulham players. Yeah, yes- and that, that, was, that, was, that was worrying. Well, yesterday I felt we were, we were bad against United as we were good against Chelsea. We sort of just did the exact opposite of after yep. we conceded a goal. It's sort of, when we conceded the goal away to start at Stamford Bridge, it sort of woke the team up and they started playing properly. Against United, it, it didn't seem to sort of invigorate anything. I mean, again, the ball was just going into Mitrovic. He was trying to look session on the overlap, and, well, that was pretty much it. We had one big chance at 1-0. I mean, it wasn't even a big chance, but it was one chance that I thought we could make more of, which was Kearney played a through ball into, into Session and... It comes. I think it's Phil Jones makes a tackle, slides back, and it kicks it off Sessegnon's yeah. sort of knee. One, I think it's a wonderful ball from Tom Kenny, and I think the Sessegnon needs to do better. And I think that if that was any other player, we'd all be looking back at that and saying that's not good enough because he bottles the challenge. And if he lifts that ball, or just gets a foot to it ahead of Jones, he's the last man. He's in the box. It's a penalty in red card. And yeah, he needs and, to get a touch on the ball. And then, and then that completely changes it. And instead, it goes out for a goal kick, and it's almost two or three minutes very very quick after the goal goes in it's early early in the game so you look at those kind of moments as right that's it that's the spark which you need to get back into these kind of games the kind of moment of magic which you expect from your kind of talisman and Tom Kearney actually provided that and it was actually you know Cess for once that wasn't able to make the most of it and you know that's not to slate his performance as a whole I thought on the whole Cess was probably one of our better players although that's not saying much no. Um but I thought that that was a kind of key moment where he didn't make enough of a moment that was offered to him. 
there's no need really to dissect the goals that Man United scored too much in that half. Um, but once again, seemed like a very similar goal, that matter goal, to the one that we conceded against Leicester, just in the fact that it's a midfielder running from deep and just completely not picked up by either the defenders. And, and in this case, Seri just way too slow to react to matter. I realise that it's difficult, that it's not always easy to pick up that last-minute runner. And you saw Kante score a similar-ish goal yesterday, and you yeah. can you can hardly say that... I think, I, I'm trying to remember which City player was a bit late to, to notice. It might have been um, Sane, I think, that actually was a tad slow to notice Kante running into the box. I realise it's difficult, but however, we've been caught from the same goal two games in a row, and just Sarri there... It seemed customary of the performances that we've been seeing from him of late. It just doesn't seem like he's up for the challenge. Yeah, it was just lazy. Yeah, it, you know, it's, whether that's lazy on purpose or lazy by not being aware enough of your surroundings and what's going on around you, but someone pointed out that he actually looks at him, clocks him, and then only sort of a good five seconds later goes, oh, actually, I probably should be marking him. Um, and that's not good enough in a relegation dogfight. It's, it's, it's fine in... You know, if you're you're floating around at the top of the league and winning games three one, you can you can afford to let a player loose here and there, you know, in that kind of form, but not in the position that we were in in that game. I do think though, on top of that, if Marcus Bettinelli concedes that goal, I'd be going to town on him. So much as Sergio Rico was, you know, did all right and and saved quite a lot of you know difficult chances and and was still probably you know our best player. I think he needs to do better with that second goal, Dom. Yeah, well, I was going to say one thing on Seri is the Madison goal to his fault as well. Yeah, well... Because mm. he double teams up on his Okazaki, he then cuts it inside when he doesn't need to. He rushes blood to the end, rushes over. The right back, I'm not saying he's got it covered, but he should be covering Madison. So one thing I do think you can argue he's making the same mistake again and there's something he's not learning from that. Yeah, Rico should save it. I mean, there's, there's nothing... Well, not maybe... He's well, late-sighted to it. It's yeah. the only, it's his only kind of... he should of, still be doing a lot better than he does. I I guess, he gets down very slowly. Very slowly. I feel like law of averages, though, the amount that Rico's been peppered with since he came into the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm, you can see that many shots, a, f- a few slightly easier ones are going to go in. He's not... No, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not in any way sort of yeah, here to say that yeah. Rico should be dropped or anything. It's I'm, probably the first goal Rico's conceded that you can attribute to him be, being able to do better in a situation. Absolutely. I think the rest of the goals he's conceded have just been down to poor defending or good finishes. So I think, you know, it's one goal and probably what, like 10 or something stupid like that. So, you know, for me, yeah, yeah you probably should do better, but, you know, you can say that about a lot of chances with a lot of goalkeepers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not a, this isn't a thing. I am just wanted to highlight that I know that we'd be called out if we, we would say the same. If Bethnelli was was slow enough to get down to that, we'd have called him out. So I think it's only fair that we do the same. Are we ever going to get Seri, see the best of Seri? Like, part of me is thinking back to Steve Marley and just wondering, is this ever going to work? Because Steve Marley was a, was a similar kind of transfer. I, I know the obvious brought him from France, but he was one of the most talented up-and-coming players when we signed him. And everyone was really impressed that Steve Marley's gone to Fulham. It wasn't a flop like Kostas Mitroglou, which was just an act of desperation, really. This, that was a real marquee signing at the time, and it just never worked. Occasionally, you saw flickers of brilliance from Steve Marley, but it was just never there. Are we going to get the same with Seri, or do you just think it's a lack of confidence thing, 
And when, may, when maybe we find a role in this team that suits him better, we will see the best of him. Because right now it's game after game after game where we're not seeing the best of Serie. Chelsea, we didn't see the best of Serie. Leicester really didn't see the best of him. See, I think he did all right against Leicester. I, I disagree with you massively there. Yeah, I, I think apart was, from the opening 10 minutes against Leicester, he was, he was, he was probably one of his better games in recent months. improved. And I thought today was a re- yesterday was a regression to the mean that we saw before that. But... Yes, he was he was pickpocketed for that cat for the Kante goal against Chelsea. But aside from that, he was better than he had been because he was snapping into challenges, he was getting around the pitch and he was mm. making making tackles. And the same against Leicester, where even if he wasn't at his creative best, the kind of moments that you, you saw were him getting around, him chasing a player down the byline. Those were the things we weren't seeing from him under Yukanovic. Yeah. But yesterday it was a complete regression to the Yukanovic meme and uh, mean and that does worry me slightly. I like your uh, Freudian slip then. <laughs> I don't know meme. why. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> the John McElserry meme. Yeah, well, it's all a meme. We're, we're our meme football club right now, aren't we? Um, the third goal matters offside. Yeah. You went to town a little bit on the match of the day analysis about this goal, how they kind of shrugged it off. Of... They didn't shrug it off. It wasn't mentioned. It, like, it wasn't mentioned in the, in the game commentary. It wasn't mentioned after the game. He's offside. Like, full stop, he's offside. I mean, can they... I guess it wouldn't make a bloody difference. No, but it's it just wouldn't. a total ignorance of it being being offside. If that if that was if it had gone the other way, yeah, that was Mitrovic about for weeks. or TC, and it's against United, and they it, now it gets Fulham a two-two draw or something. That's that will be talked about because it's United's second or third goal. It's just like oh, it's, it will swipe under the carpet. A bit like how I mean, it was mentioned against Liverpool about the moving ball, but it wasn't. They didn't make a big as much of a bigger deal of it as it as it should have been. Because one, our goal should Mitrovic could be give, benefit the attacker, and then it's a moving ball. So you can argue it is top six bars, but at the end of the day, we would have probably lost the game four one anyway. I just think you go in at two nil, you know, you, you go in at two nil is it's not good. We've had a bad first half, but you go in at two nil, and a goal brings you back into the game, and we got that goal, you know, with the change of system, and 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 if you that that games change on balances, and what what annoyed me was. The way that they, they did the same in the Bournemouth game for Mo Salah, he was offside when they scored Liverpool scored their first goal. And Eddie Howe said afterwards, you know, the whole game plan changes when they score that first goal. And the, the match that they sort of just punned it, sort of played it off as, oh, well, they would have won anyway. But that's not how football works. Games change on these kind of moments. Mm. And we, we come on to the red card later, but it's another one where it just wasn't given any sort of discussion because, but because it was a, you know, a young up-and-coming English player who was you know, simulating... But if that was the other way around and, and, and Anguissa had got Rashford sent off for simulation, there would have been absolute uproar. And I think that's ridiculous. Well, let's come on to the second half. Um, Mitro came on for AK-47. and it no, kind of AK-47 came on for Mitrovic. Oh, right, sorry. <laughs> I was like, did I watch the wrong match? Okay, yeah, AK-47 came on for Mitrovic and it kind of worked, didn't it? It seemed to me quite a bold substitution to make at half-time. We do always forget that Kamara was a striker. He's been used as a winger for us for so long that, you know, when he was bought from is it Amion? Amion. He was bought as a striker. So maybe it is natural that he plays in the position that he's played all his life and actually does turn in quite a good performance. Yeah, I mean, he, he did all right. It, you know, and this isn't me, you know, slating him. I actually think he was probably one of, you know, aside from Sergio Rico, he made a load of good saves. Kamara probably comes out second in the rankings for for who played well, really, because 
you know, he made a nuisance of himself. And in that kind of game where we weren't getting any luck of the green in terms of, you know, decisions, we weren't getting much joy out of technical progress. Actually, what happened, him getting in the face of Phil Jones and throwing him on the floor and, and getting around him was the thing that caused problems. And there's a lot to be said for the idea that I don't think you know, is not a technical player. But occasionally, when you're up against the wall like that, you need to just have a different kind of weapon. And, and this is something we've always said, that, that when he's used in the right way and you're not trying to play you're not trying to play intricate football with Kamara in the team because there's no point because he just kicks the ball out of play or it hits him and goes out for a throw-in. But if you're just playing direct football through the middle and he's trying to hold the ball up there and, and get off the back of a defender, then he's always going to cause problems because he's just a unit and he's quick. And, and that's the kind of thing you don't have to be perfectly technical to make things work I, you know I'm, I'm the first to criticize him when he does something wrong so you'll have to be the first to, to praise him when he does something right and he did pretty much all of the right things that you needed to do against a Man United defense that's hardly been particularly you know rock solid this season he got amongst it he got up their noses he sort of made himself a bit of a problem and he reaped the rewards from it and it's a very good penalty unless I'm mistaken was it Kamara who got our last penalty and won our last penalty as well away at Hull Hull yeah, I think it was. What do you mean? Our last penalty was, was Barra, wasn't Barra, it? Barra, Barra, Barra. Oh, Barra, of course. I completely forgot about that one. Because that was Nord, wasn't it? Yeah, that was yeah, Nord. yeah, yeah. But still, um, penalty, a little bit soft. But ultimately, I thought it was the right decision when, when you looked at it. He does definitely catch Kamara. He does also win the ball. It's a typical Andy Herrera well. challenge. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's not clear-cut, but I'd say that it's a foul. And, and I don't think... He sort of goes through, he does try and get the ball and there's no, it's no malice in it, but I, I do think that Kamara would get a shot off there if he doesn't get taken out. It's a pretty rare thing, a penalty at Old Trafford. I was they, thinking that, at the Stratford end as well. Yeah, they don't, they don't happen all too often. I remember Steve Malbronk scoring a penalty for Fulham at the Stratford end in the, uh, the FA Cup back in uh, 2004. In the glory days. Yeah, it really much, uh, very much in the glory days. And Zach Knight hit the uh, crossbar with a volley from the halfway line. And I still just wonder what if just what if that had just gone the underside of the bar <laughs> but anyway uh and geese are sending off let's come on to it it's a shambolic decision at the time i tweeted i was doing the tweets yesterday and i said it was a bit harsh which um rightly was lambasted uh on twitter as, as you can imagine at the time when i saw it i thought oh maybe that is a clumsy tackle maybe that is a yellow card but it's only really watching on the replay and geese doesn't do anything there's nothing no. wrong with it at all. No, it's, I think it's the double flip from Rashford, which sort of makes the forces the referee's hand. If, if you want to word it like that, I don't. Obviously, it's clear, it's not a yellow card at all. His first one is a stonewall yellow card. Yeah, yeah. But, but um, yeah, the second one, I don't see what the ref is giving it for. It's not a foul. Never mind a booking. Yeah, I, I, I just I think the only thing that's worth the referee is the second sort of flip from Rashford. I guess you can put it, but it's just, it's just what it is. I mean, I, I remember watching about the replay and thinking, oh, he's gonna. He's going to stamp on him here. He must have kicked him or something. But there's absolutely nothing. There's no reaction from Angie. He tries to roll away. Yeah, he rolls away from it. And and that's the kind of funny thing that you know. Going back to that point about you know, if that was a if that was a Brazilian, not Marcus Rashford, that did that, there'd be there'd be uproar. There'd be uproar. Uproar. There'd be oh, foreign players coming in diving. I don't think that would. <laughs> it happens every time. Well, if you that's think, Richarlison. Think, if you think about Madison's dive for Leicester the other week. If that isn't James Madison, who's like the up-and-coming creative midfielder for England, if that is 
as you say, Richarlison or Lessing another Leicester player. I don't know. Well, they, they, they couldn't wait to have a go at Kamara a few weeks ago against Bournemouth. But that was the whole point. And, and actually, Ian Wright and, and Martin Keown later on, there's a dive from Granite Jacker where he just there's no, there's no contact whatsoever. And Wright looks at it and goes, only he'll know if he's dived there. Yeah, sorry. Like <laughs> you what? And you know they exactly couldn't wait. And and don't get me wrong, that Kamara tie was absolutely appalling. Yeah. and deserved all the lambasting it got. But then every other dive deserves exactly the same. Um, and also, it came at such a key moment. Now, Fulham weren't going to go and win four three, but we had just got ourselves back into the game. Um, United would have been a bit rocked from that, and within almost sixty to ninety seconds, we're, we're down to ten men. Actually, Fulham looked quite bright following the red card when we did have 10 men. But if we looked that bright with 10 men, I assume we'd have looked brighter with 11. And it just, it killed any hope of somehow, even if we got back to 3-2 or something, we could have made a bit of a game of it. It also just changes our game plan completely. As, as if going down to 10 men, especially away at a big club at Manchester United. So I think, yeah, it, it does, it, it basically ends the game. Yeah. For a long time. But also, you, we're not, in our position, we have to be considering goal difference. Losing 3-2 is different to losing 4-1 in a big way if we're trying to catch up on goals. Yeah. And suddenly, the kind of any hope... You know, there's one thing that United haven't been very good recently. Their fans are a little bit on their back. They're, you know, not confident. You know, Mourinho's been knocking his own back four. If you're 3-0 up at half-time and suddenly they get 3-1 and then, you know, you go and you nick another one from a corner or something, 3-2, then that team are going, oh, no, not again. Not We're not going to... And the fans will get irate... It's the exact thing you want as an away team if you're chasing a game like that is the fans on the team's back, you know, the manager making... And we had plenty of time as well to to really... I I agree, like, it is unlikely that Fulham would have come back and won that game. Absolutely. I I don't think we would have won, but, you know, even to get another one and just put the pressure on and and, and kind of... And give us some confidence, because we could have taken a 3-2, even if we lost 3-2 in the end, it would have been exactly the same, zero points, but we're going, okay, well, actually, we were really poor first half, but we gave United some problems second half, and maybe we can take that into West Ham. As it is, we lost 4-1. and Spirits are down. Yeah, of course. But at least I, we can take something out of the fact we looked bright, but I guess the easy um, counter-argument to that is it's very easy to play a side when you're 3-0 down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. And they let you have more time and stuff because they don't want to waste energy either. They've got a Champions League game midweek at Valencia. I know they don't need to win it, but they can win their group. Well, and they've got and they've got Liverpool on Saturday. They'll have one. They'd have had one eye on that by the end. of the You game want to keep well. gas in the tank, and and that's what they did, and that's that was what we, you know, the red card allowed them to do, which is what makes it feel, I suppose, a little bit more bitter. Um, let's quickly mention the Rashford goal. Can you point a finger at Rico? I think it's a great strike from Rashford. He will, a keeper's always disappointed to concede a goal at their near post, but first and foremost, it's just a good goal, isn't it? Some hit. Yeah, I think. Re- I mean, it, you, I think it looks worse on the replay than it actually was. Yeah, on uh, the replay, it looks like oh, he could have done better because it's pretty much at him. But I think you know, there's some strikes over near post which you just can't say. I think that I have more gripe with Rico over the second goal yeah, than I do for the yeah. fourth. It's also a very easy goalkeeper cliche to say goalkeeper shouldn't be beaten at their near post. Yeah, but it's a cliche for for a reason in that keepers don't like getting beaten at their near post. But, but he's unsighted. It's a really, really vicious strike from a yeah. near on impossible angle. And, you know, sometimes I think you do have to put your hands up and be like, wonderful goal. Okay, well, uh, that is it for the Man United review. Uh, after the break, we're just going to have a little bit of, of a chat about Wednesday's Leicester game uh, before we get into your questions. 
Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and when I'm not winding up Reading fans, I'm listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello. And Dom Betts. Hello, hello. So Fulhamish Extra will be out later this week, uh, Wednesday evening, Thursday night. We'll be looking ahead to the West Ham game, speaking to uh, the guys from West Ham TV. And right now, a mystery love sports section depending on what Don Betts books later this week. Exactly. Ma- international man of mystery, Don Betts. Yeah, exactly. Who could he potentially get? I don't know who I'm going to go for. No, you don't want to spoil the surprise. Tune no, in on Thursday to find out. To find out what exactly is in Don Betts's head. So, yeah, we didn't have time to record a pod post-Leicester, and we hate doing that. I felt like... Felt like there was something missing after the Leicester game because the game happened and we weren't able to do a pod. But you know, it is not always completely possible to get podcasts out on time. So if you did feel like there was a little bit of a lack of a Fulhamish fix uh, late this week, then uh, my sincere apologies. For you can that. also you can also get us at YouTube where we did a full time review after the game from the old Suffolk Punch, which yes. gives our, our kind of thoughts on that after every home game. So make sure you're subscribed over there because. There is also content to fill the Fulhamish gaps in your life when things, situations like this do occur. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if you head to YouTube right now and you fancy a bit of a rant, um, Jack Kelly decided at halftime that he was going to have the mother of all rants. Um, he was a very, very angry man at halftime yesterday. You don't often and... get a very angry Jack Kelly. No, you don't. He's a very you know, grounded individual. I was, calm, measured man. Yeah, I was quite surprised. But if you do want to see a, a regularly calm, measured man, slightly lose his mind, it is an entertaining watch. And, and what he, a lot of what he says is also uh, rings very true as well. So uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and check that out. Uh, Leicester on Wednesday night, it was a one-all draw. Uh, it was a much improved performance. However, it was just twinged with that disappointment of conceding that late-ish goal uh, that James Madison scored. Um it was a pretty good performance, though, on the whole, Jack, I thought. And um, I thought when we went 1-0 went one up at half-time, it was a deserved lead, really, for Fulham. See, I, looking back at the game in hindsight, I, I think that we probably deserved, didn't deserve to be winning in the first half. I thought Leicester were probably the better side in the first half, but we were the better side in the second, and, and the game panned out that they scored in the, mm. the second half and we scored in the first. So, that you know, that's football. It's a funny old game and all, all those cliches are in one quick go, but... Yeah, I thought that we were we were good value for a point and maybe value for three on on, on Wednesday. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't one of those games where you you look back at and you're like, oh, I'm devastated that we we dominated from start to finish. It very much wasn't that, but we played some neat stuff in the middle. We had lots of opportunities. We had 25 shots on goal, which is mad from mm. a Fulham perspective, um, and not kind of wasted mad shots either. We we hit a lot of a lot of shots. There was a, eight blocks, I think, from the Leicester players, and I think that kind of shows. You know what we look to do at home. We look to actually get the battering ram out and 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 look to take it to teams, which is going to be something that well, we're, we're going to have to get used to, I suppose, and then get used to that experience. But that's what we're going to go with going forward, I imagine, under Ranieri. Um, and uh, and ultimately, yeah, we we had the chances to nick it in the last last couple of dying minutes. There was five chances in extra time. I counted the other day, which is kind of nuts. Um, and yeah, you know, just a shame one of those didn't go in. And that's the only thing that tinged what was probably a positive evening, you know, on the whole. Dom, it's all well and good us saying, oh, it's been a good evening. Fulham played well. At what point, though, does it get too late to be giving kudos to good performances, but ultimately not that great results? Yeah, I said this on full time that how many games can we keep saying, oh, 
we'll, we, if we get a point, it's good. You can't be saying that at home because we've still got, what, five, four or five of the top six to play at home. You know, if, if you beat all the bottom half of the sides at home, that's only 27 points. You still need to pick up another 13 points. So I think we should... I know they were seventh in the league at the time, but the way the game panned out, we should be looking to win it and you should be disappointed that we didn't because, you know, we have... As I know we've played all the top six or pretty much nearly all the top six above from Arsenal away from home. That's great. We've got more winnable away games in the second half of the season, but that means our home run's going to be tougher and these the run of three home games before the new year is vitally important because, you know, those... You can't be just... How many... As I said, how many games can you go along saying, oh, we'll take a point against them? You can't keep going on like that. You've got to... It's got to, it's got to get to a stage, especially where you're in a state we are when we're sitting in the bottom of the league and other teams around us are winning. Obviously, Cardiff won again on the weekend. You need We need to start turning those draws into wins at home. Indeed. And I think Cardiff are showing very well that they are a... We, know, we all know Cardiff's a bit of a limited side and... It's mostly full of championship players, but they are winning the games that they're supposed to be winning at home and they are where they are in the league because of that. And and I, I guess that's why these next few games at home for Fulham are so important. We need to be a bit more like Cardiff in yeah. the next in the next few weeks, which I never thought we'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we need to win the games against the teams around us at home and, and that's what we said all along. You know, we we've played a lot of the like Dom says, we've played a lot of the top six away from home. Um, and we've played a lot of the teams around us away from home as well. And I think that that's kind of something that, that interests me. It's the, the mid-table sides that we've really not faced uh, as much at home. And, and we've actually played more away than we have at home at this point, I think, by two. Yeah. Um, which is why we have three home games and one away game in the next run of four. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a crucial period. That that four, Those four games you've got to look at as... You know, games that you need to be taking points from. You know, we need 10 points from these three, these four games, I think. You look at those, you know, fixtures as crucial to the kind of period that we're at. And then, you know, you get good results in those four games. You pick up 10, 9, 10 points. And you go into Arsenal on New Year's Day with a renewed sense of confidence around the camp. And and, and less pressure. And we go into that game a little bit like Huddersfield did yesterday after they've been on quite a good run of form. of just being a bit like... Whatever we can get here is a bonus. Absolutely. Rather than the pressure, it feels like pressure going into these bigger games at the moment because we're not picking up the points that we need to be. So Chelsea's defeat, Man United defeat felt heavier, kind of emotionally, because you were thinking, flipping hell, we can't keep losing when other teams are winning. But if we were winning the easier games, then we can, then we can give those games the free hitness that they need. Absolutely. But- and also, you play the teams around you. You're Raising yourself while knocking them down. That's how it works, right? Yeah. So, like, well, that's it's why a double whammy. Six pointer. Uh, just quickly before we move on to the questions, I just want um, a minute or two on Callum Chambers, who was imperious, I thought, against Leicester yeah. on, on Wednesday. And he was sorely missed yesterday against United. Um, okay, his passing maybe isn't the greatest, but he's really made that position his own. And um, you've got to give kudos where kudos is completely deserved on yeah I think he's the, he's the only player I've seen in the Ankan role this season I think that is going to become his position I think McDonald yeah great but he's just not quick enough he's not got the mobility and I think he's not necessarily got the physicality necessarily as well I think he's he's big but he's not necessarily a big strong player and I think McChambers is putting himself about and I think yeah it's a shame that McDonald couldn't make it his own but it just simply wasn't to being Callum Chambers has made it his own if he can start be learning how to pass the football then you know he'll come a perfect hole in the field 
Right, let's go on to the question bag. Just to say this season that Fulhamish, the questions are backed by Putney Pies. Uh, big up Putney Pies. I went down there on Wednesday. What a fine establishment it is. Uh, the finest pies in the land. Uh, with Fulhamish, uh, you can get 10% off your food. Just make sure you quote the code. Who ate all the pies when you get the bill? And 10% off your bill will be yours. So thank you very much to the guys at Putney Pies. Jack, what's in the question bag? Simple question from Tambo FFC to start. Dom's going to like this one. What's wrong with Fulham? Well, where do we start? <laughs> I, th- I think you can put, put point the finger at the defence, but I think actually one of the key problems is our midfield. I know we've solved it in Callum Chambers, but the link between the midfield and the attack is non-existent. The person who ever seems to be playing next Callum Chambers, mostly John Michael Seri, isn't complimenting him in any way. He's not really offering anything because yes the defence can't isn't that good but I think the midfield isn't exactly helping them and I think there's not I just don't there's no link as I said in between the midfield and the attack that the person next to Chambers isn't doing anything and I think it's not like we're playing with 10 men but it kind of is because he's not offering anything to the team the defence I thought in Chelsea and Leicester was much improved and if that was our back four going forward I'd be totally all for it. I think still our main problem is defence. And I know that midfield has been very, very weak this season, but ultimately there's still far too many mistakes. Yesterday was actually potentially one of the first games where I didn't feel like there was a real individual error in there, although maybe you could argue for, for the matter goal that Seri was just a, a, a little bit slow going back. I think but... you can argue it's, it, 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 Leicester's goal was our fault. Yeah, I, I guess. Think, I guess you can argue the matter one is our fault then. No, because I just, I just, my problem is, it is, it's James Madison. It's not like with Man United have got loads of dangerous players. You know, James Madison is their most dangerous player, and he's allowed to just drift into the eighteen-yard box. It's not like he's just got the ball on the edge of twenty-five yards out from goal and pinged it top bins. He's just ghosted in on the edge of the box. Seri's ran across to the fullback area, which he doesn't need to do, and he should, he should be the player who's tracking that James Madison run. So I think. Yeah, it is. But as you said, against United, majority of the goals were not necessarily our fault. Whereas I was feeling earlier on, maybe in September, October, beginning of November, that you know all the goals we were conceding were our own fault. We yeah. weren't. We haven't. We weren't conceding goals that were down to the opposition with good play. A lot of the time, apart from maybe Arsenal, I think a lot of the time we were just conceding goals. Like we look at the four against Cardiff, right? I think all those goals are our fault, not yeah. them being good. Yeah, com- completely. Especially a couple of those were shambles, weren't they? I was annoyed yesterday, but I wasn't like you know. And I watched Jack Kelly's video, and and you know his opinion's his opinion. I just didn't fully agree with that it was that abject. It was poor, and there were some really poor performances in there. But it's Man United, and I had this discussion with you before we went on air, Jack. That okay, United have been bad this season, and they aren't anywhere near kind of the top four caliber and some of the teams that we will face this season but ultimately there is not one player in the Fulham team that you would put into the United team I think Mitch Richard walking the squad right now I don't think that's that's because you know they've been so poor up front as opposed to Lukaku is still a better striker than Mitrovic I completely agreed but you don't pick players just on ability you pick them on form that, that, that's how football works otherwise you know they would the Fulham team wouldn't be what it is right now Shadow wouldn't be going anywhere near the team you know, if we're picking on 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 ability rather than form, oh. you know that, that's that's kind of one of the things, isn't it? And that's how that's how things work. I think that you you would look at some of these players in this team, and and they would they would probably you know get a, a go in this United team, considering how considering how weird and limp United have been this season. 
for us to, to you know, not even bring give it to them a little bit. Southampton went 2-0 up against them last week and Southampton are pants. Yeah, Southampton at home though. If, if that had been at Craven Cottage, I'd have been, been a bit more disappointed. But ultimately going to Old Trafford's hard and you concede after 10 minutes with a goal that we've acknowledged did have a bit of a lucky break to, to Ashley Young and he's pinged it in the top corner. It was always a tough job after that. If we'd have managed to hold out to a half-time 0-0, which we could have done. You don't know how the game would have gone had that goal not gone in. And we'd be talking about a completely different performance. When you do concede... That's it. That's that's exactly it. You've, you've nailed it. If, if that goal doesn't go in, but it's, it's how you respond to these things, isn't it? You can't do anything about people scoring wonder goals, scoring flukes. It's how you respond to those things that marks you out as a team. But but, then, but Man United are a good, have got good players. Yeah, on that point, I think if you look at these four games under Ranieri, you no result was oh we should have possibly you say we could win against Leicester, but I think you said a win against Southampton, a draw against Leicester, as I always said. Will include Man United in the top six, home and away. You're not expecting to get anything. So I think, obviously, I think it was a performance more than anything. And I think that the result is not a problem because that's what we were expecting. And I think, you know, four points from the two home games and not picking up anything away from home, I think it's, it's fine. But then it just, what my problem is, and I mentioned it before, time is, is it is just putting pressure on these sort of these four games coming up, three ones at home and away to Newcastle because, you know, <laughs> It's like, yeah, you, you see them coming up, but then if you pick points elsewhere, it just takes the pressure slightly. And I think there's so much pressure on these four games because otherwise we're going to be in deep, deep trouble. I think one, just one, one last point on that before I come on to this, another question, which is, which is vaguely related to how we started this, this discussion, is that Sam and, and no, you know, it, it, you, you travel. Some people travel for different weeks, and I know that you couldn't, you know, travel for perfectly valid reasons yesterday. But it's easier to say, oh yeah, we played all right. When, and and I, I'm guilty of exactly the same thing in, in various occasions um, when when you're sat watching it and you're like, oh, this is all right. Whereas, you know, Jack trooped around in the rain for, you know, three hours, got on a three-hour train up, a three-hour train down. It was absolutely pissing down with rain. It was really difficult to get to United. And all of those things add up. And, and that's not anything to do with, with Fulham. Yeah, and I it's think... not anything to do with, with your view of it or someone in America's view of it or whatever. It's how you know, you experience the day and, yeah. you know, we try and make a, a good a day out as possible of everything we do because, you know, why not? Because if the football's going to be bad, you, you may as well try and enjoy yourself somewhere. Yeah, good diet's well by of nine course. minutes of football. Exactly, Dom. 45 minutes in your case. Half an but, hour. Um, but, but one of those, and I can understand Jack's frustration because of what the day had been like so far and you got out of Manchester Station and it was absolutely heaven's Oh, you sort of stay at me when I got to the we bar. Walked into the, we walked into the bar. My brother was drying himself under a hand dryer for 10 <laughs> minutes. Like, you, you honestly couldn't move for rain at points and I think that all of that probably got on top of a lot of people and actually, if we'd all watched that game in the safety of a warm, dry Craven Cottage, we would have all been like, oh, yeah, I it's think bad, but it's not you know, the end of, of the world. A lot of people who complained... Uh, saw watched Huddersfield game on Monday night football would have been oh that's poor performance but like mate you can just turn your TV off and go to bed afterwards yeah. I've got to trek back to Leeds to stay in a hotel and then come back on a two and a half hour yeah, train and, and, and I totally day. get that I just, I, it's I, just, I, just something I, about I, on it Jack's point, I think it is that you when the game's done you can literally just switch off your stream on the TV. Yeah, and there, there, and that very much is the case and yesterday I was watching from the warmth of my living room um, while sending out Fulhamish t-shirts which by the way nearly sold out so thank you to everyone that's uh, yeah. bought a Fulhamish t-shirt that's wicked um, we much appreciate that I forgot to mention that at the top of the pod right next question um, so this one's from Brandon and it kind of goes back to where we were at the start of the last question he says who starts in the midfield next game if Chambers is still injured Sammy I'll start with you this time oh well Serie Anguissa just clearly isn't working I think once well, Anguissa's t- banned well he might not be <laughs> 
No, you can't. You can't, you can't uh, challenge to yellow cards. Can you not? No. No. I was wondering this earlier. I didn't know if that was the case, but I assumed you'd still be able to. Okay, well, then you can't play Anguissa. But regardless, Serian Anguissa just isn't working. My dad came up with a bit of a left-field suggestion. Would Dennis Adoy do a job in defensive mid? I, does, I put this to the podcast earlier in the season. Um, I think we decided the answer was no. I think but it's a ludicrous shout. I, I don't think it's a ludicrous shout. I, I think it's it's a plausible shout, but one that I still probably wouldn't be that comfortable with. He's a little bit too haphazard on the ball, I think. Um, but at least if he makes a mistake, it's not a centre-back where it's also ultimately probably going to be... Yeah, but he's still making a mistake, which is going to lead to one of our centre backs making a mistake. Agreed. I, I think it's, it's it's not that. I just think that I don't know if he has the positional awareness to do that. Uh, I don't. It's not Nick Barnby. He can't play everywhere. He'll go charging up the pitch. I know exactly what Doyle would do. He'd be like, "Oh my god, more freedom!" Woo! He'd be off into the next week. So I, I, I don't think it's a, you know get Cyrus in there doing a job for them for the public. He doesn't do a job for Ireland there, Jack. So he's not going to do a job. Does he got nil nil against Denmark away? Huge. That's a huge result for the Republic. I don't. I actually don't know. But is it necessary that Chambers is going to be out? Until no, no, no. I know you're just saying it's not. This is hypothetical. If you put him in field, who the fuck plays right back? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I honestly <laughs> don't know anymore. It's Stephen Sessegnon. Yeah. Get no. Didn't someone suggest <laughs> to put Stephen Sessegnon in midfield? Did see this. Did see this. Uh, I think I saw this on the well. Facebook ludicrous. group. Ludicrous. Yeah, that one for me was was the top of the ludicrous shouts of the week. Group. Obviously, we know. Get in Delatore. We know the answer. As a CDM. He revealed this week he lo- he's been reading Sockonomics. Yeah, he loves I've got, I've that. got a newfound respect. Yeah, good book, good book. Um, Dom, who would you play? Matt O'Reilly. <laughs> Matt O'Reilly's <laughs> also not a six. You can't play Matt O'Reilly he's in six. He's been playing DLP for the uh, under-23s can, this season. Can you just give me a serious answer? Ibrahim <laughs> <laughs> Isise. I actually think Bring this is the, I think this is the sensible answer. He came on against United of the weekend, yes, in weird circumstances, and yes, the game was already dead. But he did fine. He was mobile. He made tackles. You know, he passed goal the, scorer. He passed the ball. He does have a thirty-yard bullet in his locker. Um, he did fine. Yeah, I think I think the sense of and, and the fact that he's back in the squad and that Ranieri was like, right on you go. Well, he's the only natural holding midfielder in the squad who was on the bench, I believe, on the weekend. Well, yeah, Hansen yeah. was on the bench, so he could have no, brought na- on Steph. No, a natural holding no, midfielder. Agreed, but he could have brought on Steph, and he chose to bring on Cisse because it's just suicide playing Stephanie Hansen in an anchorman role. You, you, I thought you were just about to suggest it, but you did say with Chambers. Yeah, well. um, yeah uh, I think it's an interesting one. I, I wouldn't be averse to seeing a CSA Seri pivot. Here we go again. We're it not... did. It did get an outing. No, you know, if you want CSA and Hansen, it's just king of shit housing in the midfield. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. There'd be no there. Um, okay, a couple of more things. Raheem says, "Do you think Ranieri will be impressed by AK forty-seven? No. Thanks, Tom. I'll finish the question because that's relevant. I reckon some of you may have been a bit harsh on him recently, but he's got the physicality pace to deal with a fight in this division, and I think it harks back to what we said earlier. But Sam, who's that question from? Raheem. Okay. Uh, we well, would have been impressed with with AK at times, and and one thing I wanted to say about AK after the Leicester game is it's just frustrating how you can go from the sublime to the ridiculousness, but. That goal that he scored against Leicester, only Abubakar Kamara would score that goal because he's a bull in a china shop and occasionally that works for you. And he took that shot so quickly that it took Kasper Schmeichel um, unawares. And, and everyone was lambasting Kamara for that shot in the second half against Leicester where he skied it into the Hammersmith end. But the control to bring that down in the first place, that was a ball that he had no right to you know, take control of. That is 
what you get with Kamara if he can just sometimes show some composure and occasionally he does but if he could just always show some composure then you do have the makings of quite a good striker and yesterday he was a threat and Phil Jones did not enjoy playing against Kamara yesterday Marcus Alonso did not enjoy playing against Kamara in the Chelsea game so he didn't it's. I think that Ranieri will have been a little bit impressed with Kamara. He's limited, yes, but he's not a bad option sometimes. If Fulham are going to go four four two, is he the player to play off Mitrovic? Because if he's winning, it means it means we have more than one option in that Mitrovic can actually flick the ball on as well as holding it up. And it's not always just having to go to Mitrovic, and because Kamara can win headers. headers. Yeah, Don. I mean, I, I suggested if we were when he when he first pointed at me, it would be Luciano Vieto. No, I, and I completely what, agree with you. From what I saw from Vieto against Leicester, you'd have to argue it. The best option probably at the moment is Kamara because again, you got two players on forms. He's got two goals in two games, so yeah, I could see it, kind of see it working, but I can sign it. I can kind of see it being awful. I mean, he would have impressed Randy. If, you, if you're a striker and you're scoring two and two, you're going to impress your manager. I just think. You know, you've got to be wary of him because, you know, you don't want any, you don't want it to get to his head because he will just start doing stupid stuff again. Yeah, he needs to be kept in a very tight leash. But I think if you can unleash what the, you know, we, we've always said, this is this has been a point, and I've been the first to call him Sunday League because his touch at points has been like a brick wall. He, his, his football intelligence has been terrible. But we've always said he has the makings in that he has so much pace and power that actually if you could control that and, and get it to, to be unleashed rather than just like, you know, he's a bit like I'm going to use a really weird reference here. He's a little bit like Ash Ketchum's Charizard in Pokemon. Does anyone remember that? Am I going to have to explain it? No, he had a Pokemon. Out of all the things I was expecting you to say, then that wasn't even in my top one thousand. Yeah, he's going from Derek Jazora here. Some weird analogy. He just couldn't like you know. It was a well useful thing, but he just had no no way of controlling it. And occasionally it does the right thing, but the majority of times it just doesn't. I was going to use an even weirder reference. So Anyone that's interested in Pokemon, please can you tweet at Fulhamish Pod as to whether that is a sound reference that Jack has used there. I reckon it's pretty pretty hot. Because I, I, no, I have no idea. Although I remember being very excited when I got a shiny Charizard uh, Pokemon card. The problem with the Brew Kakamaru is he's not a shiny card. He's just a card oh, at okay. this point. But one day he might be a shiny. Uh, we got time for a couple of one, very quick yeah, questions. Yeah, a Isaiah Rice came up with one that was quite interesting. He gave a couple, but I, I like this one. He says, has Ranieri flipped tables yet? What can anyone do to elicit the kind of heart and effort from this team that is required for a kind of relegation scrap? I don't really know where to start with that question. What does he mean? What does, I, I, I think he means not, you know, the people that are willing to put bodies on the line. How do you convince you could, you know, a, a team to fight for each other? Well, I guess you've just got to build a a team ethic and if there's one man that you probably definitely want to be able to do that it is Claudio Ranieri and there is just a little bit of a lack of bottle and certainly that first half and I imagine that's what Claudio's got to do and I think it's been hard for Fulham to build a team cohesiveness this season because of how many new signings there were in the summer and I think quite a few rough, uh, feathers were ruffled by the fact we made 11 changes and a lot of the championship winning squad were kind of sidelined so Claudio has got to build some kind of team ethic. And towards the end of last season, we had such a strong team bond. Yeah. Slav reduced the squad and they were fighting for each other. And you saw the reactions 
from someone like Rui Fonts when we scored that goal against Sunderland. He went mad, absolutely mad. And he'd been a bit part substitute, not living up to his price tag. And, and, not, and, and most players in that situation would have been fuming and barely celebrating. But I think that was the team ethic we had last season. And a lot of that has gone. So Claudio, I think that's a very important part of what he's doing. He has to try and galvanise that squad. And I wouldn't be surprised in January if he makes a few tweaks to his personnel, whether it's getting rid of a couple of people or loaning out a couple of people or getting in a few people that he knows has the character. Because at the moment, it does seem like it's not a completely united dressing room. Not that they're like having a go at each other every single game, but I think... You know, Scherler called out a few players in the press yesterday. We saw those comments from Ream earlier in the season. I don't think it's the happiest of camps. All right, last one. Uh, this is from Jacob Wong, who has an amazing handle. He has at the chosen Wong, <laughs> which is phenomenal, and I absolutely love it. He says, do you think Maxime Lamarchand slots back in at left-back or centre-back when healthy? I really hope that the timing of his injury slash Joe Bryan's return to fitness doesn't take him out of the squad. In an ideal world, he comes back into pair with Mawson, but I don't see that happening because of the weird obsession with Adoy amongst our managers. So, where does he fit in? I think, I think left-back, personally. I think that you, if you move him at centre-back, where do, what side do you play centre back on? Well, but Mawson did play right centre back yesterday. He did absolutely fine. Yeah, I know he did. I just think I don't know. I just, I just thought the back four as it was in the first two games of or first three games of Ranieri's reign was fine. I didn't see the need to change it. I thought it was Lamarchand was getting better and better at left back, and then it's just, and then it's just making another change. So for me, I think just slotting back at left back. I, I don't know. I don't have an issue with him playing centre because I think it's better there. But from what I saw, I, get, I think it was more about consistency. So eventually, I'd, I would want to see them as a pairing, and then Brian slotting at left back. But remember, Brian just come back from injury. I don't think it's necessary. The, I think it's just slowly be bred in. He obviously was only playing because of Lamarchand's injury. If Lamarchand was fit, Joe Brown wouldn't have been playing against Man United. So I don't know. I think I, yeah, I think I just slot him back in the left back. To be honest, Sam. Uh, I no, I don't really like my Lamarchon at left back, and I think it's I think it's a temporary measure. I thought Joe Bryan did well at Old Trafford yesterday. I would still like to see Lamarchon and Mawson. Have we still not seen that as a centre back pairing no. yet? It's I mean Mawson did okay at right centre back yesterday without being amazing. I just don't think the left and right things all that important to him. So. Joe Bryan's back. Let's get Lamarchon and Mawson at centre-back. Let's get a consistent back four and let's work out who the hell is right back. If we had a back four, interestingly, of Christie, Bryan, Lamarchon and Mawson, they would all have numbers in the 20 to 30 range. And that is a reason alone to make that happen. That's the kind of like nightmares I have as a, fo- as a football fan. <laughs> I want my full-backs wearing two and three. <laughs> Oh my centre backs row in five and six. Yeah, this is this is where I live. Otherwise your ma- your brain just can't contemplate the maths. There's so many. That's like at least ninety. So yeah, maybe ninety it's plus. It's like the meltdown you go in when full manager auto selects your squad numbers. Oh, absolutely. And what numbers and what numbers Rico? Well, he's, he's he's he would be a number one for me, but like he's no, no, a no, 20, but what, no, but oh, what, he's a twenty five. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. between the back five, you've got over a hundred. Yeah, hundred plus. Wow, hundred plus. That'd be big. That's why we're going down. Yeah, we get that many. If we get that five with the hundred plus in defence, we get hundred plus points. I reckon. All right. Okay. So that'd be fun. You see it the other way around. Right. Uh, that is all for the Fulhamish podcast today. Hope you enjoyed it. As I said, apologies we couldn't get one out after Leicester, but hope you've enjoyed a slightly bumper edition today. Fulhamish will be back on Thursday with a preview to the West Ham game. We're going to be speaking to Dan from West Ham Fan TV. 
on that as well. So hope you have a good week. Hope you can forget about the football uh, for a few days. And we'll be back to go with a big game at the Cottage and four big games coming up to Christmas. So to John Betts, thank you very much. All right. Jack Collins, what are we naming the pod? Oh, uh, oh, um, what did I call it at the beginning? Uh, bleak midwinter result. Bleak midwinter oh, result. I think maybe just in the bleak midwinter, actually. I'm going to call it in the bleak midwinter. In the bleak midwinter. Okay. In the bleak midwinter is the pod title. Jack, thank you very much for being here. Thank you, Sammy. We'll see you on Fulhamish Extra. Have a good week. Take it easy. You wait. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.